Hello guys and welcome back to the Raspberry Podcast. Uh, today's episode is a little different from most other episodes we've had so far. Uh, today I'm sitting down to talk about mental health with Ryan Mears. Uh, Ryan is a BJJ and mixed martial arts competitor and is a mental health advocate. In this episode we chat about his experience with mental health, both from close family members and his own issues. We talk about him finding martial arts and what sort of effect that that had on him and how it can help so many people and uh, also about the work he's doing to spread mental health awareness. Uh, it's not the most light-hearted subject and because of that, this episode might not be for everyone, but the biggest problem with mental health is the stigma and silence surrounding it. So having the opportunity to help to some degree, spread some awareness about the cause um, and one that's very often overlooked and not spoken about, uh, that's an opportunity that I wanted to take. So yeah, I hope that you guys enjoy or this episode helps you get a bit of understanding or even possible uh, if this helps anyone out there, then 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 that's kind of the best thing uh, that I would like to come of this. But I hope you guys enjoy it anyway. Check it out. Ryan. Hello. How's it going, buddy? You right? Good, thank you. Yeah, good, mate. Good, good. How's your journey here? Not too the bad. Whim- the whimsical land of London. The, the big bad tube. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like walking around kind of a shitty part of outside yeah. of London, just like... This is amazing. Charlie's Chocolate Factory. <laughs> 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 People from outside of London are so... They love it. They love it. People from inside I London. really want to eat at Al Turka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, cool, dude. Man, let's just get straight into it. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, so, a lot of people wouldn't have heard of me, but I like that. Um, I'm a 21-year-old uh, lad, <laughs> a guy from Kent in southeast of England. Uh, I'm a university student, uh, BJJ Blue Belt under Val Minetto and Paul McGinty of Checkmat. Um, been training martial arts over 10 years. Um, what else about me? That's really bad when you think you're boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, um, I'm a mental health advocate now. Um, grew up pretty, with a pretty turbulent childhood, yeah. found martial arts, martial arts put me on a better path. I think that's a pretty common story for a lot of people, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. Mm. So I, uh, started, uh, becoming a bit more of an advocate for mental health and promoting jiu-jitsu and combat sports really as a, you know the kind of therapy that I think everyone needs or mm. at least many especially young men maybe yeah uh, so kind of take me back a little bit and sort of what was your first experience this mental health is such a, a interesting subject yeah because it is really really prevalent mm-hmm. people really don't talk about it very much nope um, and it's whilst it is really really common in, in its various different forms. It's such a wide variety of different mm-hmm. things. For those who don't suffer with it, it it's a really abstract concept yeah, that they really can't, can't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that can really isolate a lot of people who do suffer from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you kind of go back a little bit and tell me about your experience with your own mental health. Okay. Yeah. So Where, Wherever that started or however that started. Cool. So I uh, grew up uh, in a little village called Ham Street, south of Ashford. Pretty good life, you know, family of four. I had my mum, dad, and uh, older brother. Pretty standard, you know, everything was kind of all right, what I thought at that age. Yeah. Um, as I started to get older, things started to get a bit 
rough within the family. My dad was ill most of my life. He had cancer, so I spent a lot of time as a young kid bunking school to go visit um, sure. him in hospitals, yeah. which was obviously not... It's a bit of a weird experience for a kid. I didn't, couldn't really process what was going on. Yeah, um, A lot of stress on the family in terms of money because obviously my dad couldn't work. Mum couldn't work. Uh, she had her own mental health issues. My brother was a bit of an adolescent, adolescent even, a bit of a troublemaker in school. Yeah. Um, um, and as time went on, um, my brother moved away when he was 16, moved out when he was 16. So That's pretty young. Yeah, so again, me and my brother were really close kind of at that age. He's older than you? Yeah, six years older. Okay. Yeah. So um, we, we, we used to fight, but, mm. you know, we towards as we got older, we, we were very close now. But, um, yeah, back then it was a bit rocky with him. Um, in 2008, my dad actually passed away just as I started secondary school. So a lot of, um, like, just hit puberty, a lot of stuff going on in my life, a lot of, mm. like, you know, changes within my body and my mind. Um, so... I had, at that time, I had uh, no dad. My brother was miles away. So it was just me alone in my house with my mum. We had no money. <laughs> she couldn't work. So as I said, I found out not until I was 18 or so, 19, that she actually suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. Oh, really? So, yeah, she had quite a bad condition, a psychotic condition. Um, and that's the thing a lot like I know a lot of parents suffer with mental health yeah and like the kids don't have any ability to comprehend what's going on no I had no idea and that's what actually ended up messing me up because I I was suffering from depression and anxiety after my dad died yeah Um, and then I'm in this environment with my mum who was on medication I didn't know what the medication was for sure yeah (laughs) I used to there's a cupboard in the house I used to open it and I was like she must have a really bad headache, like yeah, paracetamol. Yeah. That's a lot of paracetamol, man. But like, didn't really, again, at that age, couldn't comprehend yeah, what it you was don't, about. Yeah, you don't, um, I noticed that she was very, always on different moods. Mm. So some days she would be really nice to me, like I'd be the golden boy. Yeah. I couldn't do anything wrong. And then, then look, within an hour, I'd be Satan and I'd be mm. getting called everything under the sun. And when you're like a 13, 14 year old boy and you don't know what to expect when you're coming downstairs or coming from school, you know, it messes with your head and I mm. start to form quite bad anxiety and stuff. Um, but um, I only started to realise how ill she was when I was about 18, 19. I was in uh, a fight camp and I was going away a bit to train. Uh, I was staying with my coach at the time. So I was going away for five days in the week and I was coming back at the weekends to work. Mm. Um, so she wasn't really seeing me much and obviously I've been the only person she's seen in the house really for the last six years and when I'm not there um, you know things start to play in her mind and then she started acting very weird like very different and I remember when I first started to clock on that something was different as I grew a bit older and a bit more aware of things um, she uh, it was about three or four in the morning and I hear her shout like, like she would most mornings like Ryan and I'd be like, I'd wake up and it'd be dark. And I'm mm. like, what's going on here? Like, I'd ignore her. She's like, okay, yeah, like, she yeah. must know I'm asleep. It's three in the yeah, morning. Yeah. Anyone with any kind of social understanding will be, yeah. would know what's going on here. Like, so I was like, nah, I'd ignore her. She was like, Ryan. And he'd get like really stern. And I was like, nah. I was, I was like 15. No, no, I wasn't. I was like, older than that. I was like 18. Like, oh, geez. In my head, like, go away. Sure, yeah. So I'm trying to sleep. And then I'd hear, Ryan. Ryan. And then I just hear, 
like her sprinting up the stairs and I'd bolt up and I was like, what, what the fuck's going, going on, on man? And then the door would open and I, and I just see, I still remember it to this day, like just the light was on in the hallway, but the silhouette of her standing there sure. in the doorway and I was just like, yeah, what do you want? Kind of thing. Like I'm trying to sleep. She was like, and in the softest voice, she's like, do you want a cup of tea? And I was like, no. I was like, thanks. But I was like, okay. She's like, okay. And she went back downstairs and I was just like, that's bizarre, mm. yeah. So I said to my brother, I was like, look, mum's acting a bit strange recently. She's a bit more moody with me. She's not behaving like her regular self. And he was like, okay, man, like, no worries. He's like, I'll keep an eye on it. Because obviously everyone else kind of seemed to be in the loop with her condition. Sure. Apart from me. So your, bro- your brother knew at this point? Yeah, my brother grew out of it a lot worse than uh, oh, really? me. Yeah. So she had um, pretty bad mental episodes when we was younger with my dad and my, my brother. And... Uh, He's told me stories about like waking up in in the night being really young and like she's been stood over him with like a baseball bat and stuff. Really? Like yeah, and it's been and then uh my dad's tried to get us me and him out of the house when he knew that she was having an episode yeah. and apparently my mum's like shut my dad out of the house and he's like putting his head through the letterbox like Callum, you need to get you and Ryan out of there. Yeah. And like having to like sneak me out. So did you, like your brother didn't kind of make you aware of the situation? I think we just kind of expected that I did. Because sure. you obviously I'm, I was there every day with them, but when he moved away, and obviously, I think my dad kept it kind of quiet to protect us. Yeah, I think my brother was a lot more clued up than me. Sure, me being like, especially in the mental state I was in, I wasn't processing the things that were around me. I didn't even want to be around, yeah. you know. So, um, yeah, that was surreal. So, yeah, where was I? She, you're so, sort of clocking onto, clocking onto being ill. Yeah, yeah. so. I went to work one day when I was on the weekend I was home my brother had told me like oh yeah I'll keep an eye on it and um, the next thing the next day I had a a shift at work I was like a supervisor for just some retail shop Mm. and uh, I was in the back uh, just sorting out cash in the safe and the next thing I know um, I hear like all these wine bottles being smashed I hear my like cashier screaming and I'm like what's going on so I lock up the safe go outside and there's like a young man just smashing he's having like a mental breakdown like he's screaming at the wine bottles I'm like okay like so I'm like sat in the puddle of like broken glass and wine with him like what's going on like and he's just like talking to himself like I was like okay and I like I ring the police and the police are taking like ages I'm like okay I was like what's going on here like, yeah bit of a weird situation and uh, I was like why are the police taking so long next thing you know a police officer walks in and so does my brother and his girlfriend at the time and I, my brother lived in Surrey at the time so I was like what are you doing here he's like oh the police are late because we was at mum's and I was like, okay, why? And he was like, oh, um, I called the mental health team. We're trying to get her help. Like, um, and she like slammed the door in our face. And because for people that don't know, in terms of like dealing with mental health patients, when you've got a physical um, like condition or illness or injury, you have like one ambulance. If there's a mental illness, it requires like some kind of sectioning or more of a, uh, what they call it, an assessment. Mm. It requires an ambulance. It inquires the police most of the time and like six different doctors like wow. unmarked. It's intense. They got to pull the full cavalry yeah, out. Yeah, it's intense. So my mum's obviously opened the door. Seen a load of people. And out. she's like, I'm not ill. Like, because that's it. In terms of her condition at the time, they don't, she doesn't believe she's unwell. So they're like, she's like, slammed the door. Then the police come and spoke to me about this guy. So I've just dealt with this guy. My shift, like the shift was like crazy. I've been like, I was like, oh, and then I've got my mum to worry about as well. And I was like, they're like you need to go in and you need to pretend you haven't seen us and sure. she needs to talk to us and we need to you need to to let us in. Yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, I can do that. So like 
It's about 10 o'clock at night, half 10 at night. And she's like, you all right? I was like, yeah, yeah, um, And like, I knock on the door and I open the door. She's like, oh, who's that? I was like, oh, I don't know. And then these people come sure. in and we just, they just had to like sit down and talk. That was a, one of the first assessments I've seen. And um, yeah, she got, she passed it. Like, they're like, no, she's nothing wrong. Wow. She didn't, they didn't believe me and my brother because obviously my brother knew the signs. Yeah. And obviously I'd been living with her. Like, I haven't really emphasized the kind of signs. Um, I just kind of said, like, oh, she was acting weird. Like, yeah. but when you're there and you're dealing with a person and their language and their yeah, like, body language body, and their bo- eyes. Yeah, I think that like, humans, are re- hu- humans are really subconsciously conditioned to read other human beings. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. why, like, you, you know, you're sitting in front of someone talking to them. Yeah. You can read. It's not just mm-hmm. what they say. It's no. not even just how they say it. Yeah. It's every single every thing. Every little thing. And not even things that we think consciously, things mm-hmm. that you think subconsciously. You're like, you know, that guy there is acting weird. Yeah. They yeah. haven't said anything weird. They haven't mm-hmm. done anything weird, but, you know, there's Just something acting. off about them. Mm-hmm. Something really subconscious about that. Um, yeah. I think really instinctive from being such social creatures for yeah. such a long time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's that whole thing, which is like, it's not what they're saying. Yeah. It's not even what they're saying, you know, how they're saying it, but kind of everything together, something's yeah. not right. Mm-hmm. Almost impossible to describe to someone else. It really it's Really is, frustrating. Yeah. Uh, it is when you're, especially when you're dealing with professionals and you're yeah. like, look, she doesn't do this usually she's doing like this look like and they're like not believing you and you're like but I know this is my mum like yeah. I know her I've been living here yeah. especially me I was living there for six years on my own and like, as soon as I saw the weirdest bit of like the change in behaviour I was like look something's going on Callum mm. my brother knew what was going on and for them to be like no no she's alright and then obviously she's going to be like I'm fine Yeah, she sat there like and she, to be fair to my mum she has been in like within that kind of system for a long time now like a few years 20 so years Yeah, so she knows how to play she plays the, the game well. She knows how to play the game. She's like, she's not like switched off or anything. Sure. So they're sat there going like, I think you might need to have shot. No, I'm fine. Mm. They're like, no, okay. And then uh, the weeks went on and like more um, weird behavior. Um, uh, my brother actually started to stay in the house with me because he didn't want to leave me on my own with her. Because again, you don't know if she's gonna, how she's going to act or behave or yeah. if she's going to be violent or not. And we was in the, calling with the mental health team and the police all the time um, and uh, one particular night I remember she it would be like four in the morning to, or really late at night she's like oh I'm going to go to uh, get cigarettes or something and uh, we were on the mental health team she's like look she's driving Yeah, she's not taking her medication why she, like, and they're like no she shouldn't be driving you need to try and take her car really? keys off her and we're like but okay but now we're gonna look like the bad guys yeah. like we need to try and keep someone on her side because yeah, she doesn't yeah, feel yeah. she's ill kind of thing so my brother takes the hit <laughs> he takes her car keys and basically you're playing good cop bad cop yeah well that's the way we kind of grew up yeah. so he takes the hit and he takes her car keys and shit hit the fan really? <laughs> she starts going like um like names under the sun like oh man the abuse we used to get but um Again, like it's not her, it's her illness. So sure. we we know that yeah. we took we take that, and you don't um, take it personally. No. Mm. So I think she un- she somehow unlocks her car, but she was in her car. And no, at this point she did have her keys. This was a night before, a couple of nights before, but he barricaded her car in, so she her car's blocked in, so she can't drive anywhere. But she still got in her car, turned her car on, revving the engine. This is like two, three in the morning. I wow. live, I live, we lived in like a cul-de-sac, yeah, in a little village, like quiet little country village. And she's holding the horn, blaring the radio, like, uh, like give me my effing keys, yeah. like. And he's like, she's like, and we're like, no, you're not. That's drive. She's like, yes, I am. I'm fine. Of course, I can. Like, just saying other um, stuff. 
And me and him are just stood at the top of the road with a cup of tea, just like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> like, and Callum's used to it. Like, I remember kind of growing up, um, my dad had to take us away a couple of times, a couple of weeks out of school and places, take away like, into, like a recluse just to... Just, get, just, just you and your brother? Yeah, me, him and my brother, so whilst that, she got put in hospital again, like back in the days. Wow. So, so you, at the time, you had no idea that why no, you were going away I was on holiday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you looking just back like, on it, suddenly you realise yeah, it. You it's did, weird. Yeah. It's very surreal. And um, kind of it, all, 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 all the kind of pieces of the puzzle kind of yeah, fell into place. Yeah, they all, all fell into place. Yeah, as soon as um, uh, that, that first kind of episode where I was con- like socially aware. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, and then again, like say the next couple of days we took our car keys, police turning up and stuff and we're just like, they're like, we can't do anything. I'm like, okay. And the cat, my brother was like, okay, so what we've got to do is like, you just got to keep contacting the mental health team. And like, assessments they they're quite rare to get you have to really push them and um she yeah we got i can't remember what happened um i think it was more my brother mm. pushing and pushing and pushing and uh he got another assessment and uh this time we actually managed to get her into the hospital um her behavior was a lot worse she started to be a lot more aggressive towards people in the community um like threatening people in the community and that so when there's a threat towards either herself or other people that's where our biggest step can be put in. So we got we got into like hospital then. Um, Is that almost a relief when she started threatening people? Because you find that you yeah, got to have to the, be honest, you know, yeah, it's, like, it's a, the silver lining of that is like mm-hmm. it's escalated to somewhere where you actually can get some help. Yep, without a doubt. Yeah. And um, uh, the second, yeah, so she got in hospital. We're like, yeah, cool. My brother goes home. I'm left on my own in the house for a few weeks. I think it was only like a month trying to sort out her bills, trying to keep her house afloat. I'm like 18, 19, <laughs> working like a little retail job. Um, Throwing it at the deep end. Yeah, she was like, she'd already like smashed up all of her like stuff, stuff in her house. So she'd like got a golf club or something and had like smashed up all the lights in the house. Jesus Christ. She had a PC, she'd like thrown it across the street, like into like neighbours' cars, microwave, um, stuff like that, toasters. Wow. So I'd come back to this house and I'm like, damn. Like She had two dogs as well, so we had to get them put into like a kennel for a little while. Um, so it's basically, oh, I, was, I, I worked with like um, like a liaison officer. My dad was in the army. Sure. So we had like some of the people in the army looking after us and that. So I worked with like a liaison officer. He helped me like try and keep her house on float, some family members as well. Um, but um, I went to go live with my coach after that for a bit just because that house was like, I didn't want to be there sure. after all of yeah, that kind yeah. of experience. Didn't want to live there. Um, went to live with my coach for a bit. He like, helped me so much. <laughs> Getting just like that thing. But again, finding out that my mum got released, like she got released really quick, like within a month. Mm. And you think to section someone to, under the mental health act to get them into that hospital environment, which is a shock to them. She's obviously been in them before. So then get them onto the right medication she needs to then get the, them stable on the medication she needs to figure out what the issue is and then to prepare them to get back put into society. It's got to take longer than a month. It's, it's got to be longer than a month or at least a few weeks. Yeah. But no, put back into the big bad world. And uh, at this time, from living with my coach and like thinking my life was on track, like I didn't, I really didn't want to move back home. Sure. And at that time, I just wanted to be a fighter. And my coach um, was looking after me, but... You know, we had me, uh, me and my coach were staying with. We moved from the flat he was we was in to go moving with, back with him and his ex. 
Um, but things unfortunately didn't work out. So I had to go back to the house sure. and he had to like sort like his own life out, which yeah. was completely fair enough. Like he already, yeah. Um, so that was again, shock. So I'd already moved about, come back to the house for two weeks, but luckily enough, I took a last ditch resort to apply for university. So I was like, I've got my escape. I can so kind you, of... you, you applied to university to get out of there? Yeah. Wow. That was my last ditch. That was just a hundred percent. That yep. was the reason. Yeah. Wow. Didn't know what I wanted to study. Um, basically the guys at the gym when I was training they were like I was like, I, don't, I can't go back home because yeah. I make my mum's condition worse oh, really? I, I tread on her toes and like just being around and is, this, is that is that you as a individually or just anyone around her is gonna at some you know trigger in some way I think just because I was a, when I was a hormonal teenager and I didn't understand what was going on I think I just like I don't know we just frustrated each other it was like hot and cold yeah so we, it was a really complex relationship we always have done. But that's that's kind of a normal relationship that most kids have with their yeah. mum, especially, you know, or most boys definitely have with their mum mm-hmm. that they kind of step on each other's toes. But yeah. the difference is that your mum has the mental health problems that exacerbate that issue. I yeah. Guess. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it can be quite intimidating. Like sure, there were times yeah. when I was pretty terrified of my own mum, which yeah. as a young man is very weird, surreal. But, um, yeah, the guys at the gym were like, go to university and you can just train all the time and you get a degree at the end of it. And I was mm. like, yeah, cool. <laughs> Head first, joined university. And then um, probably three, four months into university, my mum had a second breakdown. Mm. Whilst I was at university, like, thought my life was like, I was like, yeah, my mum's fine. She's stable. She's got people around her at the house. Mm. I've started my own new life. I've got my, like, my way out. And then she's like terrorising the neighbours again threatening the neighbours, turning up at my uni house at four in the wow, morning, really? threatening people in my house. Jesus Christ. Coming up with this stuff like um so her condition, well what we thought what she was diagnosed with and what like I thought she was or she was at the time she got re-diagnosed, diagnosed after she came out the second so time. What was she diagnosed with? Paranoid schizophrenia. Okay. So she had like these delusions of these voices in her head telling her things. So she'd turn up at my house at uni and she'd be like, We need to get you out of the house. I'm like, why? This would be like four in the morning. And she'd be like, the cocaine sugar, the, the sugar's cocaine. Oh, They're trying to drug you. Like the, the people in your house are militia. Wow. They're trying to kill you kind of R- thing. They're really that irrational. Oh, the, yeah. And the, the, the detail she'd go into, it would wow. confuse you. Yeah. I'd be stood at the door like, like it's almost convincing. You're like, you're it's so like, confused. No, no one can make this up. Yeah. You're like, yeah. wow. Like, geez. Like, how is she thinking of that much detail? Like, and, um, but yeah, that was... And I remember just ringing the police. And they're like, "We can't do anything." And I was just like, "Brilliant!" And just she did it every night for, I think it was a few days in a row. Was and turning I, up at your dorms? At yeah, uni? front door. And I remember the doorbell, the noise of the doorbell gave me chills. Every at the same sort of time in the middle That's of the it. night. Yep. And I, I just sat there, I was drifting, drifting off to sleep, and then ding. But the noise of the doorbell was so. You know, you just was, well, you get conditioned to like. Yeah, f- and know, I was just like, my heart would drop, and I was like. And even people in my house started to get like scared. Wow! Because uh, one of the door, one of the rooms was right next to the front door, and I remember um, the first time I did it, well, the first time she came, I kind of opened the door, and uh, I looked through the peephole, and I see her walking back towards her car, and I was like, right, I just let her go. Yeah. But then I couldn't. I was like, what was she's going to do something? So I opened the door, and she turned around, and like stopped dead still, and she didn't say anything. It was like almost like a zombie. And then she's like, I could see, even though it was dark, or not dark, but it was like there's a lamppost quite near her. 
she turned around she was looking dead at me again I could see that silhouette from the first time mm. and I, I could just see her eyes like pupils like bit, and she just started trudging towards me and it was like I was just like fuck just shut the door I was like okay that was pretty intense I was like so I was Jesus talking Christ. to her through the door like what do you want she was like I need to get you out she was like, and I was like I didn't know what to do I was just like man that's crazy like to, to yeah and just to, ha- to have that sort of anxiety and fear about you yeah. know but rightfully so that's yeah. like rational mm-hmm. rational to be anxious in that situation yeah. someone who's capable of there's always this big fear like I think the biggest fear that most people have is of someone who's unpredictable yeah that's what she used to terrify me yeah you know and um, you don't know what's going to happen just remember sitting in lecture theatres just looking at the door like is she, she going to turn up because uh, there was a story when I was about 15, 16 she was quite well at this time I took a girl up for a coffee in like one of the local towns she dropped me off I didn't, and uh, she said ring me when you know when, what, time, what time you want picking up yeah and I uh, didn't <laughs> and uh, I remember sitting well you're out having a good time yeah I was out having a good time I was yeah. like I was treating this girl to a coffee, man. I'm, yeah. I'm cool. I'm chill. Yeah. And uh, um, I remember sitting in this coffee shop. With the, the coffee shop, the town was about ten miles away, and uh, you know it was like normal high street. Loads of different shops. I could have been anywhere. And I remember uh, the waiter behind me on the phone, and he goes, uh, "Yeah, is he wearing a green top?" And I turn around like, the "Fuck!" And he went, "Yeah, yeah, he's here." And he passes me the phone, and I'm like, "Hello." And, was like a and my mum's like, agent my mum was like, you said you was going to ring me. Oh my god! And I, my, I was like, shit. Fuck I was like, me. damn. And I was like, how did you know I was here? She was like, I know. She's like, I just don't know. I just, I rang. Every, I was like, I just know. She rang. She rang. Everyone. Yeah, because like obviously her paranoia. I was like, jeez. But again, back then I didn't process the situation. She used to pick me up from parties at like five in the morning, and I was like, parents don't usually do this, do they? Yeah. And I was like, why is she? And she wouldn't sleep, so I was just like... Well, like, I imagine that uh, sort of this unique behaviour to begin with, because mm. it's all you know, you're yeah. like, this is normal. Yeah. And then you start to go, why isn't everyone else Yeah, normal? I'm like comparing it to my mate's parents. And like, then eventually you're like, oh, if no one else is like this, maybe this isn't normal. Mm. Yeah, it was very odd. <laughs> but yeah, the second, the second one, I was completely on my own for the second episode as well. My brother had moved away to Northern Ireland with the rest of my family. So I was like, all of her family have kind of like bounced from the first episode. They've like given up kind of thing. Really? So it's literally just me <laughs> and like the liaison officer and my family are like giving me support from Northern Ireland. And I'm just like emailing my lecturers like, I won't be in today. And like, they're like, oh, okay, cool. How understanding are other people of sort of the, 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 the what you have to go through, you know, because obviously it's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty disruptive lifestyle oh, yeah, yeah. to have to be kind of almost on call to look after someone, yeah. to care for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, how understanding it were, were, were people around you? So the lecturers didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, I only told didn't one of them. them. I just told my lecturer, I think I had that my mum was having some mental health issues. So they probably just thought, oh, she's probably just got a bit of depression or something. Yeah, sure, like, yeah. I just thought, oh, she'll be all right. That kind of thing. It'll be all right. Um, whereas like my, my housemates who are there, they they, they're part know. of it. They, yeah. that I had to tell them and they kind of experienced it a bit with me. They, yeah. they were really understanding. Like mm. I remember sat there after she'd like come like, and she'd gone, they were like, yeah, yeah. Like, that, like if you ever need anything, that's cool. Like we need, like we're always here for you and that. Yeah. But yeah, I felt really, it's, it's not, well, I can, yeah, I guess kind of embarrassing, but yeah. just the, the guilt, like I feel so guilty. Like, 
you know disrupted like that you're imposed sort of you're the one who's bringing this yeah to the into, like, into to other lives, people's lives yeah. yeah so that was uh, but of course like it makes you feel like you are making them a victim but yeah. the reality is that you're the victim mm. you know well yeah my mum really is the victim well you know yeah, ev- everyone everyone, everyone is what i mean mum's yeah. a victim from the mental health you're a victim as a as a result of that and then yeah. you know your housemates a result of that mm-hmm. yeah it's just never ending like yeah. third party stuff so yeah i can't remember how that um yeah so i was just bombarding the mental health team all the time but because i had so much experience now from the first time when she was turning up and uh the mental health team were like um like we can't do anything again and i was ringing the police um they were like we can only really do anything if she's a threat to herself or other people mm. so my mum turned up one night and uh, this is where you start to get that emotional intelligence where you start to pick up sure. the body language yeah, and yeah. the signs and she come up and she was like she was like let me in we need to leave now we're going away like i've got to take you away and i was like i was like no no i'm not coming with you mum like no like go home yeah and just get like go home go relax and she was like if you don't come with me now you'll never see me again so you could i clocked and i said she's threatening suicide sure whereas that could have been taken in many different contexts so i was like look she's threatening to never come back and then straight away police come to visit me they're like getting a statement they're like yeah this that um and mental health team got involved and then they actually found her at a petrol station i believe and they just rang me and said look we've got your mum we found her at a petrol station in a vulnerable vulnerable position she's now in hospital and like i was like that happened quick i was like like that that whole getting assessments and stuff kind of thing the second time around didn't really happen as much it was just mm. kind of a lot more quick but i think it was because she's so recent from she got a history yeah yeah so you know that was again a bit of a relief but again paranoid because i was like at uni worrying about are they gonna let her out early again am i gonna have to deal with this for the third time in a just this is all in the space of like six months yeah i was like geez but luckily enough she come out and she was on track and she was working with a mental health team but it turns out when she first got sectioned when the mental health team had come over and they found out that i'd been living alone with her for six years and with her condition and she wasn't being monitored she didn't have any like mental health help team help they were like wow she flew under the radar wow because like well she flew under the radar apart from you trying to tell everyone who could listen yeah about this issue but, like even when i was in school like the six years where i was on my own with her oh, and she okay, was kind beforehand. of okay but yeah. still a bit they were like yeah she flew under the radar wow. but it's because she knew how to play the sure play the system she so like times where like with her money we didn't have any money like sometimes i couldn't even go to school <laughs> Mm. education is free in this country and I couldn't even afford to go to school because I couldn't yeah. afford the bus you know wow. and stuff like that not being able to eat because um, a big coping thing for her was she smoked like a chimney so she spent all the money on cigarettes, cigarettes. so I remember family members coming and just coming with food packages and stuff and helping us out And but you know it is what it is yeah, <laughs> yeah. so sort of how did uh, uh, what what age did you find the martial arts so that was straight after, well, a year after my dad died. So when I was about 12 or 13, I had like really bad anger issues. I was just angry, depressed, anxiety. That's sort of a common... Yeah, why me kind of thing. That's a, co- that's a common uh, reaction yeah. to sort of... Uh, Bereavement, yeah. Yeah, a young age especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so who pushed you towards the martial arts? My mum. Your mum did? Yeah. So it was a good move on her yeah, behalf. Yeah, definitely. She's, she has actually always been really supportive of the martial arts. She saw I was angry. She saw I was lost. 
Mm. Didn't know I was. I was like, I just hated the world. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, look, I've had enough of this. What do you want to do? She's like, you can have go boxing, kickboxing, something like that. I was like, yeah, I'll give kickboxing a go. It's mm. that classic old thing that you need to, if you're aggressive, you need to get your aggression out. and mm-hmm. You need to channel that aggression yeah. in some way. Well done. And even with like other sports are good for, you know, getting some energy out. Yeah, but yeah. really... Pugilistic sports, fighting, mm. boxing, yeah. kickboxing, wrestling, jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. That is really you're able to get your aggression out in mm. a safe but kind of well pure way. Yeah, because mm. I played football all my life, and my dad was the one that you know used to take me. Yeah, but then as I got older, I just got to get more aggressive with it. And I was, you know, I was like fourteen, and people were like booking me and stuff because I was just like taking stamping on people's feet, yeah, taking yeah, out yeah. on them, and you know, just didn't enjoy it as much. Sure. But yeah, kickboxing and karate from the age of like 12. Um, I'd say from the age of 12 to 14, I was in and out of every kickboxing and karate club of Ashford just because I was losing interest or, or I didn't like the the club or it was too expensive. Okay. So the first club I went to was like £70 a month. Yeah. Mum couldn't afford it. So For an 11-year-old? For a 12-year-old. Yeah, I was 12, Jesus 13 year old. Wow. Something okay. like that. Um, I think I did like 11 sessions and I left. Because um, it was like a free trial. Um, then uh, one day we was playing a UFC video game. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I saw this thing called BJJ. And I was like, what is that? And like, I remember the guy just taking me down on the game. I was like, what even is this, man? Yeah. And he Googled it and he was like, oh, by the way, that thing on that game was called uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So you didn't know anything about MMA when you were, d- when you were playing the UFC video game? Uh, I knew the. I, I just started to get into MMA. That's, I think that's why I got the video game. I was like, "This looks cool." Like, sure. they, what do you mean they fight in a cage? Yeah, yeah. Like um, all all uh, teenage boys. Yeah, and then um, they were like, "Yeah, it's this thing called BJJ." I was like, oh, "Okay." So I started typing into YouTube and Google. No BJJ clubs, no MMA clubs from around me for miles. I was like, "Damn!" I was like, "What am I gonna do?" So I started typing in jujitsu into online, and there's that YouTube channel submissions 101. Yep, and. Uh, <laughs> I was like, just I'd watch a video, and I started like self teaching myself. Mm. Well, I say self teaching; it wasn't really. I'd watch the video, I'd run down the road, I'd knock on my friend's door. I'm like, dude, 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 can I try this on you? Yeah. And I just try like arm bars and guillotines awfully, <laughs> and I like, didn't know what I was doing. Off Professor YouTube. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, this is. I'm, oh, I'm a gangster now. <laughs> I was like, I can kickbox and I can maybe strangle people. And, I was like, and then obviously I found MMA. And me and my friends, we used to. Um, we used to just go into fields and like my friend was doing like the YouTube off YouTube as well because we didn't have any clubs. Mm. So we used to go into fields with like these crappy Lonsdale and Everlast clubs from like Sports Direct. Yep. We used to fight. Yeah. Just go into like a quiet field somewhere from where we're from and we'd just fight, punch in with like the worst jiu-jitsu you've ever seen in your life. It's like world star minus like a million. <laughs> but any, ki- I think Every teenage boy does that. Yeah. That's mm. like, I find it really interesting. It's such a, it's such a pure and sort of instinctive, mm. animalistic mm-hmm. instinct that we have yeah. to fight each other in a playful way. It's mm. sort of the same sort of way that, and, I, and and a lot of people tell you that it's because of the UFC or because of violent mm. video games, because of Street Fighter mm. or because of YouTube mm. and Worldstar or, yeah. or, aggressive films mm. and TV shows but I don't think it is no. I think it's well me and my brother did it for 
amount of times we got told off because you know a, an older brother and then yeah. he was a wind up merchant I was a younger brother I was a wind up merchant and a goody two shoes like to the parent, like to my parents so we just clash and we just fight to the death yeah <laughs> but like even that sort of like would you would you glove up with your brother and go for it or you oh, just yeah. like yeah we yeah. grew up doing like one armed boxing matches in yeah. the in the living room but our dad kind of well my dad kind of um different dad same mum okay um but um my dad kind of was he was in the army yeah so a lot of the combat stuff i got we kind of learned from him yeah obviously he was quite hard in the army so he did like wing chun okay and traditional martial arts so we yeah. grew up and our dad would be still in the living room he'd be like kick me yeah and there's like little four five six year old me or like go, bit go for it he's like oh, okay and he'd just swipe me and i'd be like on my ass yeah. like, how do you do that that's amazing yeah, yeah. and then he's just like he like grew up like never if you're in a street fight never ever kick and then we'd you fall over yeah it would just yeah. sweep you or put you to the floor and you're in a vulnerable position which when you learn jiu-jitsu you're like yeah you're in a vulnerable position alright yeah and like he always used to we grew up on like the um, the mentality hit hard hit fast hit first sure stuff like this just yeah. old like old school stuff like that that's sort of funny that um, your dad taught you stuff about martial arts and yeah. you were never doing martial arts no nope. It's, it's he's like very, teaching you lessons you've kind of got all of these yeah. <laughs> sayings in your head yeah. but they don't make any sense nope. and so later I, on just felt like my whole life was one big puzzle like yeah. just little pieces in my chart and then like you were getting them in the wrong order yeah. but in the end you could kind of make something of it mm -hmm. I remember one night I, I snuck downstairs I couldn't sleep or something and he was on the sofa and I remember on the TV it was like I think it was like Anderson Silver uh, on like Cage Rage in the UK yeah. you know it was like the yellow canvas yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was almost like a square old school cage. Yeah. And I remember seeing like a, like a black guy, skinny, tall, with like black and yellow shorts. That's right. And I, I think when I got older, I was like, I think that might have been Anderson Silva. Because yeah. it was around that time, like 2003, maybe 2004. He was slaying people. Yeah. So I think yeah. my dad was a fan of the sport and really? I just didn't know. Oh, that's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Wow. But yeah, that animalistic side is, I think... Yeah, it's almost like you watch two lion cubs yeah. wrestle around with each other. You know that that's an instinctive thing they do mm. to the, prepare themselves to hunt. Yeah, and I think we sort of, I think we naturally want to fight each other to prepare prepare ourselves to be able to fight each other. Yeah. you know, to be yeah, able to survive. Um, so how did that progress into you actually finding a a BJJ or an MMA club? So actually, it was a friend from school. So I actually was a bit of an ass hole when yeah. i was a kid yeah. like when i was at this age and i, I started teaching myself jiu-jitsu well i say self-teach myself jiu-jitsu yeah go for it you can, yeah. grappling yeah and i was doing my kickboxing and my boxing which i wasn't actually very good at uh, i don't think and um i was a bit of a cocky guy sure i was a nerdy looking guy like i am now yeah. <laughs> so there was me at school thinking i was a bit of the mustard I wanted to be like hard. I wanted to yeah, be tough. I yeah. wanted to be the toughest kid in school. Back back then, that was like my biggest dream. Yeah, I wanted to be the toughest kid in school. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I used to get bullied for it, which, like, you know, I can kind of understand. It's like that's the opposite yeah. of what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm getting bullied for wanting to be tough and like trying to be. I was yeah. like, well, this is a bit weird. But yeah. you know, I kind of took it with a pinch of salt. It was like the worst time of my life at the time because <laughs> I, I couldn't prove myself because I wasn't competing or yeah, and I wasn't the type of person to go beat someone up. Sure. Um, so I was a friend from school I think I was 16 17 and he messaged me and uh, like I said there was no clubs for miles and he said uh, yeah dude have you heard of this gym down on, uh, in Romney and I was like where the I was like down by me there's a place called New Romney and I was like 
Romney. I was like, that must be like London or something. I was like, oh, no, man, I haven't. And he was like, oh, look at this website. Uh, I looked it up and it said New Romney, which was 10 minutes away from where I lived. Wow. Ten, like five minute drive. And I was like, no way. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to go. Yeah. And I, I looked it up. Uh, uh, I searched the guy. Um, just come back from Brazil. MMA experience, professional MMA fighter, BJJ Brown belt at the time. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go find it. And it was like this little like old school garage, converted garage, freezing cold in this industrial estate. Couldn't even find it the first time I went down there. My mum had to drive me back. Like, it's not there. Yeah. I was like, look, mum, please, just one more try. We'll go find it. And I went up to this, like, it was like an old bunker door, like a yeah. brown door. And I saw, like, um, no shoes on the mat. I was like, I'm here. Yeah. Opened it up. And I looked in. It was, like, these black mats, a couple of boxing bags. And it was, like, like it looked like something getting constructed, like a little kitchen area. And I walk in, and there's a, um, there's a guy sat on the sofa, chilled as fuck, just mm. tattoos, Sat on the sofa, like shorts, vest, no socks, on like that. And he's like, I was like, oh, hey, man, like we spoke on the phone. I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, you've done MMA before? I was like, well, this before? I was like, no, no, no. And it was uh, Jack McGee. Yeah. So I was like, I didn't, at the time, I was like, who's, I was like, I don't know this guy. Yeah. And at the time, I was a fanboy, so I was like, trying to know every name in the sport. But obviously, he'd been in Brazil. Mm. So I couldn't get anything on him. And uh, came back. And it wasn't until I started training with him, I started to realise, like, oh, he's really well-respected in the UK. Yeah. High-level high level jiu-jitsu, especially on the MMA scene, pro-MMA record. He'd just come back from fighting on Bama mm -hmm. against Tom Breeze. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, How did he do against Tom? Uh, he lost by triangle in the second. Yeah. Okay. Um, did re he was a really good fight, actually. Tom's a lot bigger than him. Yeah, I think he was yeah. a welter at the time, yeah. Yeah, Tom, Tom cuts a crazy amount of fights. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're fucking huge, the unit. Mm. Yeah. So that was interesting. So I just started training with him. Uh, I so was what age was that? I was 16, 17. Just turned 17, I think. Maybe 16. So I've been doing a lot of kickboxing at other gyms. But yeah, this was when I actually started to knuckle down. And once I knew I had a gym, I knew I'd be committed. And my mum would drive me there every day after school because she knew I had an outlet now. Mm. And I wasn't giving her as much grief. Yeah. So she wouldn't mind sacrificing that little bit of money to to pay for that so I was training every day after school I'd get in from school I'd have beans on toast drive down to the gym and she'd drop me off at 6.30 and she'd pick me up at like 9.30 and I'd do three classes a night wow. two three classes a night but by the end of the night let's say I think it was like jiu-jitsu then MMA then boxing there was like never anyone fight the boxing so it was just like basically one-to-ones yeah. <laughs> so I was like this is amazing um, excuse me so I trained for with him for a good two years, competed under him for a bit. So, 16-year-old you finally finds this outlet for this aggression and this anger. Mm -hmm. How, f well, firstly, and I imagine the answer to it, but from, you know, your perspective, what was the transformation like? Was there a transformation? So, from the bullying, I was like, so I went from being this really aggressive kid to being bullied to losing all my confidence and not believing in myself. Because you were getting bullied. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously, dealing with my mum's like some of her of course, abuse yeah. um, and this was this was much before my mum's episode, recent episodes but um, yeah I got into um, yeah I went from being really sh uh, shy uh, I was a shy kid aggressive teenager then a shy teenager and then I, I was just with the gym I was shy I was intimidated really? Jack McGee was, in the gym? yeah I was sparring you'd be amazed if I throw three punches I was just backing up against the corner of my hands up and 
you're in you're in adult classes, right? Mm-hmm. So, because I kind of had a, a similar experience, I started training with the adults when I was about fourteen or fifteen. Mm. Um, but jujitsu, you know, you're not really getting punched in the face too yeah. much. So it, it is intimidating for kids to get yeah. into the sport, you know, especially if they're already not particularly confident. Mm. Yeah, I started doing the no gi jujitsu with them for probably six months before I started in the gi. But again, adult class and like. I was actually doing okay and I was a bit surprised. I was like, wow, like gave me a bit of confidence. But yeah. then I'd go to the MMA where the strikes come involved and I'm like, I'm getting fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like this hurts. Like I haven't like, I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. It took a long time for that, me to come up my shell within that sport. But Jack was really, um, the training was so tough. Like it was old school. Like I remember being like 16, 17 and uh, we would spar. I'd have like amateur MMA gloves. He'd have like the MMA gloves on. And it was me, 15, 16 year old me, MMA sparring Jack McGee. <laughs> and like, he'd just like dominate me, beat me up. And I remember he mounted me. And I hadn't been doing like the proper jiu jitsu for long. But this is this old school kind of training. Like, he grew up like training in Brazil and, you know, old school MMA training. And he would be like mounting me, punching me. And I'd be like, yeah, 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 I tap, like, I tap. I, I'm, I, 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 was like, I think I said something like stupid, like, I feel claustrophobic. Sure, yeah. <laughs> And he was like, he's like, because I told him when I first walked in, I want to be a pro MMA fighter. And that was the first thing I said to him. Okay. And he like, so he's going to treat you like a pro. Yeah. So he wants just to a pro he would MMA beat fight. on me, and I was like, oh, I feel claustrophobic. No, I tap, I tap. And he was like, bullshit. You said you want to be a pro MMA fighter, kind of thing. Like, just like it wasn't like that harsh, but he was just like, no, you want to be a pro MMA fighter. You got to train like intense. Yeah. And he was, I was just like, okay. And he said to me afterwards, like I sat up like bloody mouth, <laughs> spitting but like take my gum shit out bloody gum shit and I was like that was awesome <laughs> and he was like you can't be the hammer without being the nail sure so that always stuck with me yeah um, and at 17 he used to put me in like adult jiu-jitsu comps sneak me into comps he actually entered me on a local show called Ringmasters uh-huh. which uh, was where you like win, win belts yeah and I'd always like dreamed of like winning one of those belts and he uh, at 17 you had to be like 18 I think to do it I think I might be wrong Entered me in for that, paid for it, bless him, which I really appreciated. Took me up there. And obviously I'd grown up like seeing these like local fighters thinking they were like the UFC's like mm. best. And I walked into like the weigh-in area and they'd be all there. I'd be like, mm. <gasps> oh my God, that's such and such. And he'd look at me like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's just such and such. And he'd like introduce me and that. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Like, and I just learned to kind of be around these people. And that's when I started to put myself a bit higher on my, platform i was like well i can chill with these people i can be like these people like i don't have to be like they're not my god like mm. you know they're just another human yeah i think i met jimmy manuel that night as well <laughs> but like it's just cash i lost on points but that was an experience just and then he always put me in jiu-jitsu comps adult jiu-jitsu comps i think my first ever competitive jiu-jitsu match like grappling match was at tough invitational we're doing like tough grappling just like a competition at Gillingham Leisure Centre I yeah, think yeah I remember those yeah they were old school the red and blue mats with yep. like the little stand and uh, Jack took me I was like didn't sleep that night I was like oh my god I'm actually going to fight someone so I'm actually going to compete man I was like geez, like I didn't sleep a wink didn't eat any breakfast and he took me up there and like I didn't know if you had to enter he was like no nah, no nah, nah. he's like he's so relaxed he was like nah it's fine like we'll get you in just walked up to the desk and he was like got a guy and he was like yeah yeah he's on next I was just like and I step on the mat I was skinny I must have only been like 70 kilos tall skinny and um, this like the guy across me steps on the mat 
topless, Polish, jacked, <laughs> uh, sweaty. I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I went for it and like, he didn't tap me, but you know, he just laid on me, sat there. And I just remember just hugging him for dear life, just shaking. <laughs> I remember the adrenaline dump, like, and I just feeling like you're drowning. Yeah. That first you just experience, like, oh my God. I was like, can't believe I just did that. And then couldn't breathe, dry mouth, straight on the mat for a second fight. And I got like Nogi mounted Ezekiel from Nogi. I was like, don't even know what that was. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. on submission 101. So, <laughs> 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 like, geez. But yeah, that was a fun experience. But then you're in the game. And then. Uh, I think he put, yeah, it was that comp, Ringmasters. Then it was another grappling comp. It was the Massive. Took me to the Massive and a couple of other guys. I did like the MMA strike and grapple, which was like the MMA of the shin guards. Mm. And I got third. I got Kamora by one guy. Rear naked choked the next guy, which were, they were both blokes, like grown men. I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> when I got this rear naked choke, I, I remember when I got it, I got the tap. I just screamed, yes. <laughs> and people were looking at me like, What's wrong with this kid? <laughs> I was just so happy. I was like, oh, that's not cool then. Yeah. Then he put me straight onto the Nogi and I had two fights and I won that. So I got gold and bronze and then he was like, all right, get you some MMA fights now, like proper ones. And like three, four months later, I was fighting on a show called Killer Cam, uh-huh. which was like paid amateur fights, big production, you know, oh. you put on YouTube I remember growing up seeing the promotion. I was like, "Geez, I want to fight in there so bad." <laughs> that yeah. was like to me. That was my UFC. Yeah. When you're from a training in on like a patch of grass outside your house, like any any kind of local show, you're like, "That's the UFC. That's yeah. amazing." Yeah. And to re- actually fight on there, I was like, "Whoa, that's very that, cool." Yeah. So, so, well, I guess going back to you first starting training, yep, uh, and sort of the transformation that you had from that. Mm-hmm. Um, your mum was taking you there to kind of get that anger out. Yeah. And how effective of doing that job was it? Um, you know, I chilled out a lot. I got humbled. Uh, I like I said, I that's not one of the main things with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With I've, like, I do. You kind of, you you kind of question yourself. Yeah. Is jujitsu the? If you get a bully, you know, yeah. you get a kid who's bullying other kids. Mm-hmm. He's got a big ass, big ass ego. Is jujitsu the best or the worst thing for him? Because either you take him to a jujitsu academy mm-hmm. and you get humbled because you know, and everyone, everyone says that like jujitsu is the ego killer. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone comes out, makes you a better person. That's not always true mm-hmm. because if you get a big roided up, yeah guy coming in who thinks he's tough and you know some of the smaller guys can't do stuff on him you mm-hmm. know he's still going to get beaten up by the better guys but he can beat a couple of the guys because he's a lot bigger and stronger actually it can it can make it even worse and you end yeah. up with a guy with a huge ego yeah and he's a and and he's uh getting better at fighting mm. or getting better at jiu-jitsu anyway but with a kid it doesn't matter. You can be the toughest fucking 15, 16 year old yeah. kid in the entire world. Mm-hmm. You ain't coming in and beating people up in a jiu-jitsu academy. No, no chance. It's just not happening. No. So does it humble them enough for them to kind of chill out a little bit? Or yeah. does it just give, does it give an ego with a bully the ability to beat up whoever they want? It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I it probably think comes, so. you know, the, the age is a big, I think the age is the big factor. Yeah, it, com- it comes down to, um, 
I think it definitely comes down to the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, Without a doubt. You know, for, for, for the people who are getting bullied, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. They already tend to already be humble. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes I guess you weren't so much. Uh, I, know, I was <coughs> humble. By the time you were, when you were getting bullied. Yeah, I was. I got humbled by probably the bullying and yeah. after the bullying, getting beat up. But before then, obviously growing up, um, I was from my family were well respected in the village, and um, my brother was quite well known in the like in school and stuff for being tough. Obviously, my, um, I thought uh, my dad was a big role model, so I always had them to fall back on if I got into any trouble. Yeah. And then obviously, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah like quite mouthy. Sure. Some people know my brother, like. I was quite notorious when I was younger for just like starting on my brother's friends and I was like well if they hurt me my brother's gonna beat him up sure yeah and then you know I was a dick and then sounds like it and then then you blink and they're not there anymore and you're like oh okay yeah I've got to do it for myself I never have an old I didn't have an older brother to do that (laughs) (laughs) um in in terms of sort of we're talking about sort of the effects that you had yeah you know, the depression was a big one mm. for you. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it makes absolutely sense, a lot of sense why you would be, you know, why you would have that mm-hmm. uh, after not only the, 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 the bereavement, but also having to deal with your, your, your mother at a young age mm-hmm. for your, all your life. Mm. Um, how did the jiu-jitsu or how did the martial arts kind of affect specifically your anxiety and your depression? So for me, it was an escape. Like for for years, my happy place was my room. Mm. I spend so much time in my room, and I just put my headphones in, and I'd be me for a few hours, kind yeah. of thing. And I'd sleep a lot with the depression. I'd just be in bed a lot, and my mum would come up and she'd just nag, like "You're always asleep. You're always this, that, that." She took me to doctors and stuff. And they just didn't know what was going on. But you know, that was my escape, and that was a way for me to. It, it just did so much. Like I was in a sociable environment. That I think that's for, a huge part. For of years, yeah. I tried to avoid. You know, I had friends around, but for a while, I isolated myself. Which is, which is, you know, there's there's going to be two. You know, there's two people in the world. You know, you can split everyone into two yeah. categories when it comes to this. Which is people who suffer and therefore understand fully mm-hmm. mental health and depression and anxiety, yep. and those who don't suffer so can't. Yep. You know, even people who live with people with those issues, yep. you can't really nope. understand it. You can understand it to a degree. You can. Um, sympathize but you can't emph- uh, empathize, yeah. empathize with them yeah. you can't understand what they're going through truly from their perspective no. so for those who don't understand kind of talk about a little bit about what because so many people have the wrong idea of what depression is mm-hmm. oh they're just they're just they're just grumpy people who need yeah. to pick themselves up right yeah. that's the biggest thing about that, yeah. the, there's like the and, and, and the, ho- the the big problem with mental health is that well, the biggest problem is that it's not obvious. Nope. It's not visible. Nope. If someone gets their leg cut off, everyone knows what knows, that yeah. looks like. They can identify that and have some idea of what that's like. But mm-hmm. if someone's uh, suffering from depression, anxiety, and any of those uh, mental health problems, you can't see it. Nope. And therefore, you don't, you know, this whole thing, which is, you know, just snap out of it yeah, yeah. and all of that stuff. So kind of talk a little bit about your experience actually going through both those conditions. So with the depression... Um, I am 100% sure, like 100, I didn't get actually clinically diagnosed because I didn't go to the doctors enough. Sure. I got, I developed like a bit of a, didn't, um, like hatred towards like the, the doctors and stuff. Cause my mom would take me and, um, she, like, she'd know something was wrong. I just sit there. I was just, I was constantly emotionless. Sure. I just felt nothing. Like you could see it in my face, body language, didn't want to do nothing. Didn't want to say anything. Didn't want to do anything. Like, it was just, I was just a blank canvas 
like just a blank gray, blank gray canvas and um she'd take me to doctors and I'd sit there and I'd just like what's wrong like and they're trying to like they're like nodding at you and shaking you like mm, yeah. yeah like tell me how you feel I'm just like nothing yeah. nothing's wrong like leave me alone can I go to my can I go back to my room now like can I go nap please like leave me alone is that why why do you think you had that sort of reaction to it it was that is that just kind of part of being a teenager that you don't want to that you don't really want you know people getting involved with your shit basically I genuinely just felt hatred towards things everything just everything yeah everything didn't because I know I know a big problem with mental health especially with males is that when they get a little bit older and they you know mm. it's not they just refuse to talk to yeah, people about their exactly. problems yeah I, it was definitely a bit of that when I was younger yeah. fact that there's a bit, but at the time I didn't really understand what was wrong yeah I was just like I just don't want to be here I don't want to do anything um, and then I just with the doctors and stuff I was just like no, I was like, I don't want to talk to you. You're not doing. You're not selling yourself enough for me to me want to talk sure, to you. Yeah. I, don't, I don't respect you enough, which is really bad attitude. But like, I respect obviously as a doctor, but I just didn't feel comfortable opening up to them. Yeah, um, which is what I. Um, we're working with. I'm working with a uh, young mind UK at the moment. We had a conversation about which I'll go into in a little while. But um, yeah, I just didn't want to open up to them. Yeah. Um, I actually when I had my like break i i was just in school one day and i was just like i really don't want to fucking be here i was like this class is this is the worst place i want to be i don't want to be in here i'm not interested in school i don't feel like i'm interested in anything i just i don't know what i just hit a low and i was like it was like enough is enough i just need to let it out it was like a build up yeah you know when a pot like gets too much steam and the lid it was like that i was just i need to tell someone i need to just let it out and I went to a school nurse who was expecting me to have a cut head or yeah, yeah. a sore hand or, you know, and I was just like, she was like, I just sat there, blank face. She was like, oh, okay, what's wrong? And I just, it was like one of those moments from a film where like the sound of voice like cuts out and then a, a soundtrack plays and you see the two people having a conversation. Sure. It was like slow motion in my head like that. I'm not entirely sure what I vented out. I, but you I, just spoke. I just spoke wow. for ages. Wow. Must have been like over an hour. Or, wow. And uh, she just was all that a lot of pent up. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. she was in tears. Wow. She just broke down and hugged me, and she was like, "I can't believe we haven't helped you before," kind of thing, something like that. And I was just like, "I feel better." How, yeah, I was going to say like that sounds like it just just the relief, like a li- like liberating experience. Yeah, yeah, I was just I just remember her just like cry like tears, and she was like oh sweetheart or something like yeah. she just hugged me and I was just like oh something must be wrong then if people are reacting like that then there is probably something wrong and then she went so, so you didn't think up until this point you're thinking that you this is just you you don't have a problem therefore you don't need help yeah. because yeah I just thought well was like, yeah and again, I imagine like, that's a really common yeah that's what I mean especially amongst kids those mm-hmm. at that age sort of yeah. in their teens they just they think don't. oh this must be normal you know yeah but um so then she went and told like my form tutor and my mini school and they all started getting involved and they started to give me like a thing where um uh they like oh um if you like a time out pass so if anything's ever really stressful in the class I can just walk out mm. I can go sit in this room and talk to them in the offices and I was like oh cool so I used that quite a bit um cuz from year 7 to 9 or year 7 and 8 after my dad died I think my attendance dropped to like 
54% wow. or something like that. So even times my classmates didn't even know who I was. Um, but yeah, so my form tutor was always talking to my mum, like, if you ever need anything, you can come have a cup of tea with me. Everything's fine. Um, and my form tutor somehow found out that, you know, I'd been giving up a lot of time, like bunking a lot of time in school to go see my dad. Actually, I don't think I fully understood the reason why he did this, but he nominated me for some sort of award sure, called a Triangle Award. And I got a certificate through the post and he was like, you've been nominated for this award for good friends and young carer category. Come to this event. And it was like a big like tables and lights and in a conference room. And like, they were like, oh, Ryan's going to be nominated for something. I still don't to this day. Really? I don't know why I got the, like, yeah. nominated. I don't, I, I just didn't, I was like, I didn't do anything. I was like, it was like, I felt guilty. I was like, I don't deserve this. Um, and uh, I won it. And this was in 2008. So this was the year of my dad died. And I was like, man, I was like, there's so many more worthy candidates. I, I still to this day don't understand what I did. Because um, I I was just, I didn't really support my mum that well. Cause mm. I didn't, you know, I just, my mum would be like, do you want to go see your dad? I was like, yeah. During school. And then after school, I just, and then when he died in school, I didn't go to school. I was like, I don't want to go to school. I'd support my, apparently I was like supporting my mum. I wasn't really support, I don't know how I was supporting her. Um, I was helping her as much as I could. Well, I think a lot of the time people don't really see, you have a really skewed perspective of what you do as yeah. an individual, you know? Mm. I think, uh, and I don't know, it, it might not be for everyone, but I think most people uh, kind of have this natural inbuilt instinct where regardless of what they do, it's always going to be pretty mundane because it's just them doing it. Mm. You know, you see yourself as just a normal person doing what a normal person does, regardless mm. of what a normal person, yeah. d- d- regardless of what you do do, <laughs> it's just a normal person doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas from the outside, um, it, very different. it can look very different, mm-hmm. you know? So that maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Cause, um, yeah, my form was awesome. Um, he was my, like, just helped me out so much. And at the time, um, me and my mum were going through uh, again so my dad passed away um, a couple of years before that uh, my mum's mum passed away um, so my mum was under a lot of stress and then it was in the build up so after my dad passed away me and my mum we spent a lot of time with um, so in the village my mum and dad had a best friend who were also a couple and they did everything together mm. and if they were at work I would go to their house and mm. they would look after me for like the evening we'd spend our Christmases with them um, and within two three years after my dad died and they were my mum's like best friends and they were her rocks they were both dead wow the the her best friend who was the woman um, she um, had another illness like cancer I think it was cancer um, she passed away quite quickly after that and then after that it sent um um her husband into like a downward spiral um with like alcohol and you know within like another year i think it was he was gone as well and they had a daughter so and she was quite was quite i was really close with her and and, her parents so again my mum's like at the minute for me it just felt like everyone around me was just like like just everyone seemed to either leave me or like die basically I just yeah. pass away and I just thought like that's what really triggered the depression because I was like I'm a curse uh, this is all happening because of me like I'm I'm like the omen baby or something mm. 
and like that's the way my mentality was. And I was like, I don't want to be here. Like, why is it? Why is it there? And why is it not me? Kind of thing. So, at what point did you realise that that wasn't the case? I think it took me a while. Yeah, it took me a long while because it's still. Yeah, it took me probably probably oh after uh, I don't think that now but there's still some cases where it sometimes creeps in because uh, like one of the big problems with a lot of mental health is sort of this irrational train of thought yeah you know and it where can you steer you get you you get in your own head and you make up things mm -hmm. make up reasoning for things that aren't necessarily true mm -hmm. yeah there's a guy who um, does a TED talk called Mark Hennick who talks about uh, why we choose suicide. Um, and he he does this really good talk about, um, in I can't, I can't remember how he describes it. I think it's inflated and deflated perception. Sure. And how when you're in that m mental state, that's all you see. Yeah. It's like your perceptions are either inflated or deflated. And it's like all you can see, all you can feel. And there's no other option kind of thing. Yeah. And then it, you know, it, it can be perceived, but again, it's just all perception and like I say, it takes a long, can take a while for that trail to be redirected as such mm. away from it. But I'd say probably more, um, after I found out, probably the, the latest stage when I was about 17, 18 and when I found out why my, like what was the, you know, the jigsaw we were talking about earlier. Mm. Once I saw the thing, I was like, Okay, kind of. It's not me. Yeah, it's, it's not me. It's, it's just the way my life is. Really brutally savage. Yeah, <laughs> mental health. You yeah, know? I was like, it's just, just the way it is, kind yeah. of thing. And um, you know, I, I believe in kind of um, fate and stuff. So when my dad died, he had like a little iPod he always used to listen to when he was in hospital, and I put it on, and the first song that played was Bruce Hornsby. That's just the way it is. Oh. And I was just like. And again, it was like a little puzzle because a few years later, yeah. I was like, uh. Yeah. But um, yeah, probably after I found out my mum was ill because with her illness and when we had like our confrontations as such, some of the things she would say to me, like it made me feel like, oh, okay, I'm the she problem. She said it was your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff, well, not, not particularly um, my dad's death, but stuff in life. Like she just used to say stuff like, oh, I can't remember what she used to say. You kind of learn to block it out, but yeah. quite abusive stuff like, but again, like the next day I'll be a golden boy. So I'll just be like, don't know what's going on. You don't know where you sit. Yeah. Do you think that played much into, you know, that your development of anxiety and stuff like that? Yeah. Without a doubt. Still yeah. to this day, like, every, like some things in my life. Yeah. Like with, um, um, most of my anxiety is like pretty realistic stuff. Like, uh, forgetting your keys. Mm. I can't walk out. If I'm going out of my house, I hold my keys. Mm. I check my wallet every like, 10 seconds I is um, it so how, how would you describe anxiety for people who don't suffer with it is it just sort of being more be, being more worried than you should be to some you know it's worrying to the point where you kind of it affects for me it was to the fact where I am just within society I, I just get like it's affects my way I behave in there sure and the way I can communicate and like yeah like sometimes you can't even go into society like I'm not, uh, luckily I was never that bad, but I'll be sat there and it's just like, say, trials of thoughts. Like, it's like for for the podcast, I, I you can get anxiety. Well, I was for like, I could come up in here, on here 
And I'm like, what if I say something really, really bad? Mm. Really, really bad. Or this is how severe it can get. Like, you can go, like, again, like, kind of like my mum's trailer for, like that irrationality. Mm. I could be sat there and I could be going, oh, like, what if this happens? And then, and then you can, you can build that trailer for irrational thought. It spirals out of control. Yeah. yeah. And you're just like, if that happens, like, what, what happens? Sure. Do you think, doing MMA and jiu-jitsu and the martial arts and stuff how's that affected the depression and how's it affected the anxiety Help, if, if at all it helps the depression and I felt like for me so the depression it helps you get you because of that ex- sort of escapism yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but I feel like the anxiety a lot of the time made it worse wow yeah because f- most other fighters this is different for all fighters but for me I could not shrug that feeling of, you know, the voice I grew up with telling me I'm not good enough. Mm. Um, And even though my results were showing that I was more than capable, I think just some parts of my background just are still there. So towards the end of my, like my last couple of fights where I lost, I I could, I I completely believe, especially, um, you know, some parts of that, definitely were mental losses more than the physical so during the fight you sort of have a voice in your head telling you that you're not gonna you're not good enough to um win. you're not good enough or i would try too hard to convince myself that i wanted to fight so sometimes in the, i'd be in the cage fighting someone and i'd either be in a dominant position or they'd be in a dominant position and i'd be like i don't want to be here like i don't want to be here i i um, and then the anxiety before the fights I used to get just it was awful Mm. like and again with like all fighters are different um, but I think you know some fights I don't know why I could shrug it and it'd be fine and I'd thrive and then some it'd be different kettle of fish Um, I know a lot of people who suffer with uh, anxiety to varying degrees because that's the thing it's a spectrum you know Mm -hmm. just because someone you know it's not all the same it's not a binary is you're either anxious or you're not mm-hmm. it's it's you can have really terrifying yeah crippling anxiety and then you can have anxiety that isn't too bad and mm-hmm. you know i think people who don't suffer with yeah the mental health of anxiety still get anxious about certain things because well yeah. that's natural it's human instinct um as someone who you seem like a, you, you're very clued in about obviously you have a uh, understanding about mental health mm-hmm from your own experience, from other experiences, from sort of obviously studying it a little bit, are there any things that you can, that you do or that you can do to sort of help society, this anxiety, especially around competing or, or tra- uh, training and stuff like that? Yeah. So we'll, after um, these a couple of fights um, and I started to get that, just want to just work in mental health. I started like devising my own like analogies. Okay. So my big, some of my biggest anxieties um, was from comparing myself to others. Sure. So I created an, or made up an analogy called the goodie bag analogy, which is where, you know, you go to a party and everyone gets given a, a goodie bag, yeah? Yeah. And each of those goodie bags has got different sweets. Um, so, and, like, anxiety comes from being like, oh, I want their sweets. Mm. Or they've got a better sweet than me. Or, like, so but the analogy kind of is stop comparing yourself. Cons- stop comparing <laughs> comparing your goodie bag to other people's yeah. because you have your own set of sweets sure but then swap sweets for strengths sure so 
you have you have you have your own set of strengths that you've been whatever you want to believe yeah. given provided like Works built into you. Yeah. Um, so why would you worry about if someone's got a wham bar when you've got a dib dab? Mm. Like, like why would you worry about that? You've got your own set of strengths to, to work with and stuff like that. And I feel like me creating my own kind of things in my head, like these little kind of games and analogies. and Way, like, Ways to look at things from a different perspective. Yeah, like, Man, I, I use analogies all the time yeah. um, to varying degrees. I'm sure people have listen to a podcast long enough have heard me do it. <laughs> use plenty of them but I use them a lot when I teach as well yeah coaching is really popular I, I, yeah, oh yeah massively I think that analogies are sort of the absolute best way to explain something because mm-hmm. sort of you can't define a word by using the word you no. have to explain it in a different yeah. way and, that, yeah, and that's yeah. what analogies do it allows it to take it out of that context to something that the whole point of an analogy which is where I mess it up sometimes is to make it <laughs> less complicated yeah, than, yeah. than what the original thing is mm-hmm. I think that especially with anxiety and stuff, you know, I don't suffer from it, but I do know people who do and, and spoken to people who do uh, a lot. And I think that they get, they get trapped in a way of thinking about a certain mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And by taking something similar and building a completely different reality around it and mm-hmm. then seeing how they would cope in that situation when it's abstract instead of reality, yeah, yeah. it helps them to Without really find the sort of almost like a, you know, looking into fables and stuff yeah, like that yeah. about how, you know, yeah, I think I've always been on the edge of being like, I'm always borderline being that really, like having that confidence and have it. There's a quote, I've got it out here, if I can get it up. Go for it. Man. It's a, an entrepreneur I follow called Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, he did a- Gary V. Yeah, he's a man, he's the man. Um, but his, I found a quote the other day when I was thinking about all this and um, what is it? It's, it spoke to me because I always really struggle finding that balance. Yeah always have done kind of and he says uh having the humility to know you're not shit and having the confidence to know you're special sure i think that just sums it up like the balance like knowing that you're not better than anyone but knowing that you are different and that's where i think it makes or breaks people is like if you that's you know you can either say oh i'm different like damn like why do i have to be so different or you can say i'm motherfucking different like i'm the man like no one there's no other human like me and taking that in so once and that's that's true you know like everyone is completely different yeah everyone's and over the years like growing up mum and that and my life and the way like my i I like to view life as like being dealt a a hand in poker and it's how you how you play it It doesn't matter what you got it's how you play it so i like to view things in that sense um and the analogies like that um so I just lost my trailer thought and that is infuriating. <laughs> you hear people do it on there and you're like, oh, I won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you watch a game show and you're like, come on, the answer's so easy. <laughs> but then you get up there and the light's in your face and you're like, shit, I can't remember what I'm saying. Um, man, let's talk about what you're doing these days. So, mm-hmm. so you decided from your, you know, from mental, mental health has been such a big thing in your life from mm-hmm. birth. Yeah for both your mother and then also for yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense that you would look to work within the mental health yeah. sector, you know, mm-hmm. and, and wanted to help people from your experience and kind of understand it a little bit better. So what, what, what sort of stuff are you doing within that sector now? So I started building like from the, uh, kind of my own brand. So I believe like dealing with mental health systems and teams and seeing charity work and stuff like I just, it's, I just don't think it's going to 
get especially young it's not people, enough it's not enough like there needs to be something more appealing from about your, it from your story about your mum, it sounds like you're pretty disenfranchised with uh <laughs> with 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 the system that's yeah. set up yeah. and and the reality is like most uh public systems yeah it's it's, it's gonna have it, flaws it's well it's gonna be even just it's gonna be spread too thin yeah yeah without doubt you know mental health and looking after someone you know for example the story that you said about your mum. this is a something that requires a lot of resources yeah. to deal with you mm-hmm. know constant looking after and being able to you know whatever it is all mm-hmm. the different doctors that yeah. everything they have to deal with on call all time mm-hmm. and how many people are like this around in the country you know yeah. we're, we're, we're a heavily populated country with a limited amount of resources and a limited amount of money so it makes sense that relying on the public the public amenities itself to mm-hmm. deal with it isn't going to be enough no yeah especially the way the world's going like exactly depression's what- a uh, I can't remember how it's described, but like a, it's a socially made disease. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, I think it's what 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 do you? Is depression on the rise? Yeah, by that, a lot. Yeah, why? Because um, I've watched a couple of TED talks <laughs> and I've devised like my own kind of like opinions on it. But yeah. if you think back in the in the day when we were like cavemen, yeah. we had three main roles. Sure. Four, maybe. Like, eat, survive, provide. Yeah. Kind of. Um, but back then, it was a lot more simplistic in a way. In certain ways, like, it would be a lot less cognitive and a lot more, like, physical. You just, you'd go out, hunt, mm. come back, cook, put it on a bit of fire, eat it. Whereas um, the responsibility of people uh, in this day and age has just got a lot more complex. Like, you've got, like, those main roles and then you've got all the little sub things in there now like dealing with like um other other people um again i think i used another analogy i think it was related to young, uh, young men's mental health which was like dealing with all that weight um we're a social species yeah we i think i believe we're meant we are meant to be close so we, we're getting a lot more disengaged with like technology luckily we're using technology for a, a benefit of social yeah, yeah. Like, it's like uh, technology is a fucking superpower yeah and you can use every superpower <laughs> you can be the fucking villain or the hero right yeah. you can blow up a planet or <laughs> blow up a missile trying to blow up the planet you can work both ways yeah have you um have you heard of a book called tribe yes like, so have you listened to it or i haven't listened or it? read it yet no uh I, I i recommended it recently on my instagram uh it's a plug there <laughs> <laughs> uh but i i listened to it actually it's a really short book mm-hmm. um i've started getting into to audio books yeah yeah they're awesome because i i I wish i read more Mm -hmm. and uh but i just don't have the time but just Mm -hmm. like podcasts you know which is why i originally started listening and therefore and then made a podcast yeah yeah. it's such a useful thing whilst you're driving whilst Mm -hmm. you're working whilst you're doing whatever um but audio books are the same they're kind Mm -hmm. of just like podcasts but they've been thought through a little bit more (laughs) they're usually better written (laughs) uh scripted podcasts basically Mm. and um i bought tribe and uh it's only five hours long. It's mm. fucking awesome. Yeah. I really recommend you do it. Yeah, yeah But it man. kind of, it, it, it goes off of that whole thing about um, depression and about so, uh, humans being social creatures mm-hmm. and uh, that we're not designed to live in houses by ourselves. We're no. not designed to even live in houses with a couple of people. You're designed mm-hmm. to live in fucking villages with mm-hmm. everyone knows everyone, everyone there, and all yeah. that stuff. But that's a, you know. but that's what I mean. Like how many times have you been on a train and you've seen just two strangers having a conversation? Like that's considered like weird now. It if is. I walk up to someone's street, I'm like, oh, how you doing, mate? They're like, fuck are you? Like, yeah. And I just think Which is fucked up. Yeah. 
considering like like say back in the day you'd be like everyone know everyone but it, it, this you know this is the whole thing and, and sebastian younger talks about it on on in the book which is you know back in the day you would never see a stranger nope like the whole idea of a stranger would be strange yeah. <laughs> you know kind of, whereas today it's actually if you're walking down the street and you see someone you know mm. that's strange yeah like the, oh that, what a coincidence oh mm. what are you doing here all of that mm. stuff actually seeing a stranger is the most common thing that you'll do every single day of your life you yeah. might go through an entire day and never see someone that you know mm. but you're going to see people who are strangers whether it's driving whether it's public transport whether it's mm. in a you know wh- whatever mm. um so it's, it, it it is interesting yeah, anyway go on yeah um where was i going from there keep interrupting you that's why i love it i actually do because you can find so many other different topics so yeah. we was we going on about depression and how it's the increase of depression increase of depression yeah so about a big part of it is a sort of to do with society and and and, and social interaction between humans yeah which is which is really being manipulated by uh just general you know the forward progress and the mm. direction that human society is going into. And then obviously with technology and the ability to do, you know, and, and, and the size of the world, of the world yeah, and yeah. the population in the world. Yeah. Um, let's say, um, just the increase. I think Joe Rogan's had a really good conversation with it about like the loneliness as well. Yeah. Like, and, uh, I mean, well, he, he gets some awesome people on there. Mm. Yeah, don't rub it in. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 no, um, hey, there's so much I could go on to about it. Man, uh, it's it, so man. weird that because I like I'm kind of mentally prepared for the conversation that gets to, it and you're like, like where do you? You don't even know where to, to begin. Yeah, that it's I, like when you're on Netflix. Yeah, you, there's, there's so much to choose from, but you can never pick one thing nah. because there's too much. Like one day, I just want to go on to Netflix, and I want there to be two films. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you, got you got you pick one. Okay, yeah, cool. I'll do that. <laughs> But again, another TED talk where they talked about um, I can't remember the guy's name. I never do. I just like I just read the title. I'm like, mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, he goes on about how you know the increase in the work stress and family stress and how more kind of we're using more of our minds now. Mm. I think he goes on to, um, and all the, there's so much about um, where did he go on to with that? how it's the it's all kind of man-made from like say technology and this is harder than i thought on my head top of my head he i think it links well to mark hennix with the suicide and he's saying like with you when you're on your own mm. and you've got all that perception you're on your own with your own thoughts you've got no one to share that with mm. yeah i have it now i'm so like i'm really happy i've got a couple of close friends um and a girlfriend but like i convince them you can share your experiences but if you're on your own and you're in a job you don't like yeah. and you you don't get on with your bosses you don't like your colleagues mm. you got you got no one to talk to that's just gonna eat you up yeah absolutely you know i think loneliness is such a big part of it and it's actually one of what i believe is one of the best things that martial arts and jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. give you yeah i think that there's a more of a camaraderie in fighting sport teams mm-hmm. than there are in any other sports yeah. teams. I do believe More because, because you know, they go back to this sort of this old saying of you don't really know someone until you fight them. But mm. there's that. And Joe Rogan says it, you know, when you fight with someone, you have to, lots of people say it, when you fight with someone, when you're rolling with someone, you have to trust that person a hundred percent. Mm hmm. 
Otherwise, stay home because you're not coming to training. Nope. Because they're going to get you in a choke and you're going to tap them yeah. and they're going to let go. Mm-hmm. And you trust them 100%. Literally, people don't think about it. No. But you are trusting them with your life. life. Yeah. 100%. Because if they get you in a choke and you're, you're kind of letting them do it. Yeah. You're letting them get you in a choke. Mm. Because you're playing the game or you're doing specific sparring and you're starting from the back and you're mm. letting the guy go. You're letting them choke you. You're letting them get you in a position that the human body is designed to do to kill things. Mm. And then you tap them and they let it go and they don't kill you and you go again. <laughs> that requires a, a lot of trust. Yeah, it does. And uh, and people don't think about it. You know, I don't think when people... you you When you go to a martial arts academy, you know, for, for example... When you go to martial arts, martial arts academy, it puts you in a very different train of thought, different attitude than yeah. if you were. Imagine if you're on the street and a guy, stranger, came up to you and goes, "Let me get you in this choke position. You tap out when 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 you when you feel yourself going unconscious." Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck that, yeah. shit, right? <laughs> Without a doubt, fuck that. I'm not yeah. doing that. I don't know you. But you're going to a martial arts academy and let 20 people who don't you know you do have faith that everyone's got viewing it the same because, way as you. Because, you know, because it breeds that yeah. sort of trust. Mm. So I think that um, that's one of the reasons why martial artists, MMA fighters, people who are punching people in the face yeah. as well, they tend to have a much tighter knit. And I think that jiu-jitsu, to be honest, I've, I've not spent a, too much time doing striking arts, to be honest, mm-hmm. ever. But I do think that grappling arts kind of create more of that camaraderie yeah. than striking just because extreme close physical contact mm. is part of it at the all mm. at all times mm. you know you are literally laying on top grabbing onto hugging mm. this aggressive hugging <laughs> is what it is and it builds up this camaraderie which is uh, very very unique mm. you know you train martial you, know, you, you train jiu-jitsu for long enough and all your best friends are fucking jiu-jitsu guys mm. um for someone who doesn't have much family doesn't have much friends from 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 their past life before doing jiu-jitsu or do before doing martial arts doesn't get on with their co-workers doesn't get on with their boss mm. they can find a jiu-jitsu academy yeah, yeah, they yeah. can join and within a couple of months you will have genuine friends there yeah so i do think it's such a big uh it can play such a big role in that sort of loneliness that's what i say like my coach paul mcginty when i joined silverbacks i'm a man canterbury that was like my family like i'd yeah. only been there six months and Paul let me live with him. Yeah. He didn't fucking know me. Yeah. I could I was just like some kid that used to get the trainer. I could have like he knew my past, but he didn't know like he didn't really know me. And to let him do that and then I had other members of the team as well. Like they they recommended university. Yeah. They give you that social support, that life support. Cause I didn't have the family or the friends around me to do it. Um I had friends that used to take me around like the towns and like show me around and mm. just make me feel comfortable and stuff. So you know, that's my teammates that strangled me every day. Yeah. You know, then like, it's so bizarre, but yeah, so the whole thing, thing about the art. Yeah, you do jiu-jitsu for long enough and you know, all your best friends are the people who try to yeah. choke you every day. Yeah. You know, simple as that. I think I put a um a post up on the BJJ underground about that one time. I was just like yeah. it's so weird that like you walk off the mat feeling happier after being strangled by like people yeah. you've only known a short time, but you consider them like absolutely your closest friends. Absolutely, a hundred percent. So, what what other stuff? So, we're going back to sort of the yeah. stuff that you're doing, working in the mental health. So, yeah. you're you, you're creating this uh, brand, sort brand. of. Yeah, I guess a, a, I don't know how best to describe it more specifically than a brand, but sort of this idea. Yeah to help to to, mm-hmm. to to be more open and talk about mental health a little bit more. Yeah. So uh, it's a, a brand called Hashtag Maisie Let's Talk. Uh, started off with like a really, really minor YouTube channel at the minute. I'm building it up slowly. But the idea was um, I wanted to kind of um, 
do like kind of informal interviews yeah. and vlogs where um, I'm some one of my weekly things is I share how my week's gone. So I come in and I'll be playing usually a video game. So my most recent one I was playing Crash Bandicoot. And, Old school. Yeah, and I over explain like a topic or I share how my week went, how my mood fluctuated, what I did to kind of make it from a negative to a positive day. So if I trained, if I didn't train, how it made me feel, stuff like that. So I want to incorporate that. Um, informal interviews with like just like um, members of the public that I know who want or are willing to come on, discuss their problems, what they use as their coping mechanisms, yeah. their story, their conditions. So that way, at the end of the it should be like a massive file and you should be able to find like your condition and your, your what could work for you yeah. in a big list of like options. I think, you know, we talk about technology and uh, the ways that technology have made us more distant with each other, mm. sort of isolated people. You know, you go into a room of people and everyone's talking to someone on the other, you know, mm. somewhere else over the phone. They're not talking to each other. But man, there are so many ways that technology are useful. You know, like we say, we're, we're using technology right now to yeah. talk to each other yeah. about about some serious issues and you know i hope that this podcast is able the reason why i wanted to get you on here is because i know how important it is to talk about mental health how many people out there do suffer with mental health and uh, and i I really hope that from listening to this and 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 from your experiences and the stuff that you had to say about it and to Mm -hmm. the ways that you cope with it that man if one other person listens to this podcast and is helped in in any way shape or form then if they can take one thing from anything yeah then, then that's absolutely worth it Mm. Um, so we're using technology for this and, yeah. and, and, and you're kind of using technology for the same thing. Mm-hmm. One, one of the nice things about the internet and, and technology and how easy it is to create that sort of content is you can take your experiences mm. and you can share them with anyone in the world. Yeah. Whereas back in the old days, <laughs> you could share, you could share your experience with who you could talk to face to face. If you're very lucky, you know, how to read and write. You could write it down somewhere and share it with someone else who could read or write. Mm. But with technology, with YouTube, with podcasts, you can share your experiences and share it with any person yeah. in the world, you know, practically forever. Yeah, it's crazy. It is it's, pretty cool. This was, this was the first time as well, which is why I say it, just to make people feel like, oh, because the whole thing obviously part of my channel is like talking. Mm. It's the first time I've actually po- uh, openly shared the whole thing. Wow. So I thought, what, where, where have a better place? I've never gone to a... a Hence why I keep choking. <laughs> I've never gone to like a, like I said, I couldn't talk to a doctor. I've really? spoken to my nurse, but where I've actually filled in the puzzle, it's the first time I've shared the puzzle. Just making sure you did it in, yeah. the, pub, in, in the most public way possible. Yeah. Man, that's really cool. You know, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad to, hopefully you feel more, uh, you know, similar thing that you felt when you first spoke to yeah, your nurse yeah. and oh, felt liberated. Mm. And, and uh, I think that's a big thing. You know, a lot of people, I feel that a lot of people bottle stuff inside mm-hmm. And it kind of just eats away at them. Yeah. That whole, like, the literally, like, that whole, like, bottling something up mm-hmm. and eventually it just, just comes goes. to a head and explodes, I think. Mm-hmm. But the bad thing is, like, there's that bottling up which could lead to the worst possible outcome, which is, which like, suicide. suicide. And, that's, or, and that's a massive problem. Mm. It is a massive problem. And, and, and uh, I think these days, as in 2017, in, in recent years, people are talking about mental health way more than mm-hmm. they ever have. Mm. In 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 every variation of mental health, in mm-hmm. in terms of uh, um, depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. schizophrenia, mm. uh, PTSD, mm-hmm. suicide, all of that stuff. You know, obviously, there's a lot of stuff with the uh, with the army and PTSD, yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of gets also sort of covered in in that book, Tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've spoken to some of the guys do, working with the you know 
mental health charities for veterans as well. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get veterans into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Role for recovery and stuff Role like that. Role for recovery yeah. and all of those and reorg everything like that because it's the exact same thing. You know, it doesn't matter how you've got your anxiety, your depression, mm-hmm. your whatever, PTSD, um, jiu-jitsu and kind of it's it's not it's nothing to do what you're to, to do with the jujitsu. No. Yeah, <laughs> it, it isn't. No. You know, if you could, if, if you could get the similar camaraderie that you can from a martial art that you could do in a books club, then mm. it would, book club would be just as good. But I think that there's something special about the sort of relationship that you form with other human beings whilst doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then again, like you say, from the outside, it looks, it looks culty. Yeah. It looks weird. Like, yeah. what do you mean? Like, this is just meant to be like your sports team. Yeah. Like, no, it's a bit more. Yeah. I think, I think, <laughs> The whole cult thing is super interesting because people get so funny about sort of cults, right? Yeah. They get so funny about um, cults are such a bad thing if there's a group of people that all fi- think similar and yeah. they're all like really they're close They're harmony and they're happy. Like. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Absolutely, there are some bad cults, but yeah. just like there's good and bad people, good mm. and bad, you know, ideologies and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of people, if you have a group of people that are sort of very close knit and all working towards the same thing. It's really seen as it's called a cult. I think a lot of people use the word cult to yeah. uh, undermine those sort of organizations. They almost see them as a threat. You get mm. lots of human beings working together <laughs> for one goal and they mm. become very powerful. Yeah. Um, but fuck it. If that's what it is, then that's what it is. You know, the reality is, is man, you know, I, I every single day I step into the gym, mm. I'm fucking buzzing because I get to go and see, Mm. A bunch of people who I consider, you know, part of my wider family, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, it's very, very cool like that. Who else am I doing stuff with on there? Um, yeah, it's early days a minute, but I'll hopefully I want to try and every now and again organise interviews of like kind of a, a bigger name. Yeah. So organise with Brad Pickett to come on. To Wicked, about like A bit like what I said about my anxiety. Yeah. How others cope better with it maybe and, you know, life after UFC and just the sport in general and dedicating your whole life to something. And then if you don't get that outcome, yeah. you don't get that gold title. How does that like not him in particular, but other people, you know, if you work so hard for that goal, if you just miss it, you know, how would you, how do you cope with that kind of thing? Yeah. Cause you dedicated your life to it, but you know, it's like most things in terms of success. It's all about the journey and not the destination. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm interested to hear his perspective. Um, a guy, I got organising a Skype interview of a guy from uh, a Channel 4 show called The Undateables. Okay. Uh, he I've was seen a, that, yeah. Yeah. Show, yeah. <laughs> but he was a, a rugby guy on there who was like, blew up the internet. He was like, good looking guy, a rugby player. And people were like, how is he? Yeah. But he, like, it's, again, it's not about the looks, it's what's underneath. Like, sure. You can't tell yeah. from just judging. Yeah. So he's a, he suffers from Tourette's and he's a, um, ambassador for an autism charity as well because wow. he suffers from autism so I want to talk to him about his work with them and stuff um, I work regularly or starting to work regularly with a charity called Young Minds UK which is about helping young people um, it's quite a cool idea like I went up to a meet a couple of weeks ago up here in London and uh, I walked in there's a room is like half the room is full of like young people who have suffered or suffer from some sort of mental illness and the other half of the room are like um, parents or carers of someone who mm. so it's like two different perspectives yeah but yeah you just kind of we the charity want to work with us to provide like things for professionals to give them like a, an insight a perspective help them 
with like talks like talks and workshops just to help better the thinkers you know some some of them just everyone kind of when we all collaborated and shared our views they're all very similar you know mm. everyone's frustrated with the systems mm. everyone thinks that like it's understaffed under so yeah. more needs to be done so it's interesting being in the same kind of room and talking to people like that and they all and they all kind of are in agreement yeah. with the situation mm-hmm. so um kind of final sort of thoughts on it what advice do you have to anyone listening to this who does suffer from any sort of mental health you know possibly more more, more for people who suffer i guess without being treated or without, without being helped at all and kind of don't really know what to do if, if anyone's listened to some of the things that you've said yeah and kind of oh shit you know, yeah. I kind of feel a little bit like that. Yeah, yeah. What advice do you have for them? For someone who's suffered with it and someone who's working with charities that deal with it? Um, I think it's important to understand, like, your illness isn't you. Mm. Like, you are, like, don't let it define you. Um, if you are concerned and you do think, okay, maybe, like, some of these signs are flagging and, like, some of these things that you're reading online or hearing on stuff like this or from charities or from your doctors, you know, you know, it's gonna it's uh there's help you know you're you're gonna get the help you need um it's hard to open up mm. <laughs> it's so hard to open up. Like i say talking to that nurse although it was one of the daunting things for me like it's the biggest thing best thing i've ever done in my life mm. if i didn't do that if i didn't have that conversation what would have happened yeah. i don't know where i would have been i probably wouldn't i would definitely wouldn't be here yeah as like a 21 year old yeah, I'm I'm happy now. Yeah. I know I don't sound like it. I don't no, look no, like you it. Maybe. You, you, sound, but, you know, to be honest, you sound incredibly uh, level for someone who's gone through what you've gone through. Yeah. No, legit. <laughs> the experience you, 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 you get. I imagine that a lot of people wouldn't uh, be able to. Wouldn't you, they'd, they'd be surprised when you tell them what you've been through? Yeah, because you don't show it. You no, know? but that's the thing with me. That's, that's the, the thing with mental health. Yourself. That's the thing you don't show it. That's why I think it's important. That's why I like doing stuff like this because I knew there'd be people. Uh, on here they're like oh what's this like what's his name like oh I've seen him at comps or yeah. like people I know people at uni man like since I've started really trying them, like this movement and this uh, channel and stuff they're like bloody hell dude like yeah. I get I get since I've started doing it I get messages every day mm. from people I, like, I went to school with at uni um, and stuff and like I'm blown away like mm. they're, they're opening up to me now yeah. I'm like thank you like I, I'm glad like if this is helping in some way like because it's it's just such a sometimes I'm I'm really annoyed myself that I'm struggling to put it into words because I think for a lot of people that's what it is it's like you say the the use of the analogies mm. that for me really helps clear the thought of what's actually going on yeah whereas like bring some clarity to yeah, the situation and how you feel like like say I didn't know how I felt I just thought like say it was normal but you know with the help of like the internet now and technology again for good for good you know, it's the symptoms and signs are there. The doctors are there. Um, your friends and family are there. Um, I always felt like I was alone, but you know, once I actually start talking, there, the support is there. You always feel like there's no one there, but once you actually make that brave move, you'll be very surprised. And I think it's that surprise that actually brings that happiness because you're like, mm. oh man, people actually care. But again, it all links into that social species, man. Yeah. Like, we might be a little bit lost on the way. Like we might be a bit distracted by other shit going on. But at the end of the day, when we're there, we're there. Yeah, you can't change your genetics, can you? No. <laughs> you know, we, we don't... 
you know how long how long are fucking mobile phones or even computers how long mm. has the internet been around for mm. you know less than a hundred years yeah but uh it takes a lot longer for you to change you know for you to evolve different mm. genetics for, yeah. to no longer be a social species mm. um cool man eh? anything else uh there was some stuff yeah man grab it out yeah I think I think always bring always bring notes I've got a notepad yeah perfect <laughs> Because I know I drift so bad, so so bad. Everyone gets funny. Like everyone thinks that you need to be sort of <laughs> on one topic, and that makes podcasts so boring. Oh yeah, that's that's another one. This is why again, why it's important for us to, um, yeah, I mentioned why we choose suicide TED talk. But there's a a really important TED talk that I couldn't believe, which kind of makes sense for a well. It's just I find it it makes sense long term, but it's a. a a talk and a study now like this the, some of those mental health studies now from actual like the top dogs in the psychology yeah uh unbelievable and they've actually found that there's a study called uh the eight like it's called an ace score uh-huh. so for someone like me it's called uh it's based on an adverse childhood experience okay so now they're actually like it's linked with like social services and um have you ever like walked down the street it's, it's, um, really? It sounds we'll really judgmental. Yeah, it, sounds, <laughs> it sounds really judgmental, but you've walked down a street. I'm sure people listening have done this, and you see something you're like, they're a bit weird. Uh, a bit, there's, yeah. some, there's something going on there. Most people like, think that when they see <laughs> me, I think. Yeah, you're like, well, or like someone, maybe like even um, alcoholic, or just you see some sort of erratic behavior. Yeah, like, yep, sure. Bit, bit Every, everyone by. has, everyone has. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, well, why, why might they be like that? There's actually studies now that show like um, adverse, it's called yeah adverse childhood experience. And it's like a score. And it's like if you're a child and you're in an environment a bit like mine, there's been much more extreme. Yeah. Where it's like drug abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, neglect, uh, mental Ill- parent with mental illness. Like your, um, and there's like a list of like six or seven things, quite a few things. Basically, each one of those things, if you get, you get like a point. And like your, um, once you add that up to like a tally, the longer the tally is the likelihood of how much that will affect your physical health in the future. Sure. So like the more stressful and like mentally draining the kind of environment you grew up in, the more likely it is that you're going to have like I don't know, a heart disease or a stroke. Oh, really? Actual or, physical, yeah, physical, actual illness. Change. Like there's the link is there. It's not just a myth. Like feel good, be good, kind of thing. Like that's real. That's legit. That's legit. Like if you're under a lot of stress, you know, man, pe- people can't underestimate the power of the mind. No. You know, and an unhealthy mind will make an unhealthy body. Yeah. You know, the power of the mind is incomprehensible. Incredible. It is. Mm. Um, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And. um yeah, that makes that that that's. I hope I'm not. I don't get that. that but I well, you see, like I, I, you know, I haven't done any fucking experiments, so I don't know. <laughs> I haven't done the research, but I would feel that it would be sort of unresolved hmm. childhood, yeah, issues that is really going to play a part. It's that yeah. whole bottling up, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I feel that um, you know, someone is sharp on sort of the mental health side of things that you are. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's that. You know, may- maybe if you hadn't of whatever triggered you to go to the nurse and yeah. have a out of body experience where you just expel all of this stuff out of your out of your mind, mm. 
maybe if that hadn't happened, you would never have even spoken about mental health. And nope. still to this day, you wouldn't even, you know, you wouldn't even tell yourself that you have a problem. Yeah. And and then perhaps that would have, mm-hmm. you know, so really it can be uh, as simple as that. Talking about your problems, you're saving your life in that moment, but you're also mm. saving your future self. Like you're creating that potential again. Like, yeah, that potential, not creating it, it's already there, but you're exposing yourself to what you could yeah. really do and achieve and be and feel. Yeah, I think if someone has a physical ailment, yeah. very rarely will they uh, put up with it, mm-hmm. you know? They'll, they'll, they'll generally, you know, let's say you had a abscess on your elbow or, you know, you broke your ankle mm-hmm. or whatever. You had a problem physically that yeah. you could feel and see and experience in a physical world. Mm-hmm. You go to a doctor and you go get that looked at. Whereas people who experience stuff that can be as harmful, if not more harmful, Mm -hmm. but you can't see it, you can't feel it, you can't look at it physically because it's in your head. Yeah, They're not as open to going and actually seeing someone or talking or doing anything about it. Yeah, And, you know, kind of what you're saying here is that that mental thing can actually play into the physical world even afterwards. Which is why I think like, stuff like jiu-jitsu and combat sports needs to be in schools on, or somewhere from a younger age which is why I'm so glad to see kids because like say I had my escape at like 15, 16, 17 imagine if you had imagine it if you, five yeah straight away like it's, it's incredible what they could potentially do so that's I find that super interesting I'd like to um, eventually like say with that brand I'd eventually like to go in and talk at um, I'm starting to conduct like talks I know from here I can't really talk for too long without stuttering or... Man, you're in a, it's not bad don't worry about it but um, I'd like to go into doing talks I'm doing a talk for my university um, I got contact a couple of days ago about doing a talk for uh, like the commissioners yeah. or some sort of commission just to prepare them on what to expect for like the year ahead they said so sure. again like what we say about not judging book by its cover if you're dealing with students every day and you're looking at them you just see them as a student you yeah. don't know what's Behind so, that. Yeah, so if I can be doing a talk and a presentation on that, so that'd be interesting. Uh, spoke to Steve O'Keefe, hopefully going up to Fight for Peace to hopefully do a talk. Oh, awesome, man. When I had, I had Steve health. on here. Uh, I love Steve. Yeah, Steve's yeah, wicked. Cool. I still need to, I've, I've been busy, but Steve, if you're listening to this, I'm going to come, uh, I'm going to go do a class down at here. <laughs> I'm just too busy at the moment. But yeah, but I'll hopefully be working with Steve quite a lot in the future as well. Yeah, like, he's doing some great stuff. Yeah, with yeah. Mental, and sports coaches as well with my degree. I'm doing mental, my dissertation will be on sports coaches' mental health awareness. Awesome. So he said he'd be happy to help me with a lot of that. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so yeah, the future's bright. But I hope with sharing this, that like say people can see like what it was. Kind of, I found my cope with it coping within combat sports and martial arts you know your coping could be anything mm. you know, some people find it art music's a big one for me I love yeah. music I can't play I can't sing but I love listening, listening to it yeah. and the expressiveness behind it but you know your coping could be anything I like, don't feel um, shamed or embarrassed by what helps you it's the same with like the therapy there's always debates on Twitter like what's the best therapy like if it works it works mm. it's the same with your, what, like, your activity or your hobby you like to cope and if you're paranoid about it. you haven't found it yet you know you will without a doubt you will you it's already there you just you know you haven't realized it yet that it's actually a benefit and not a burden yeah yeah cool man cool where can uh where can people find you 
cool. So I'm on Facebook as Ryan Mayers. Twitter, I am hashtag Mersey Let's Talk. Instagram, I'm Mersey Let's Talk. Mersey. Mersey, yeah. M-A-I-R-S-Y. Let's Talk. Yeah. Cool. Um, uh, I'll, put, I'll put all the links of this wicked. in the description Thank anyway. You. Uh, if you'd like me to come and talk um, at your either gym, uh, if you know a school, a university, or any kind of establishment workplace um, regarding mental health, or I go into a bit more detail about um, some of the stuff I started on earlier. <laughs> um, please let me know. I'd love to come and talk to you guys and you know help because. People won't forget how toxic like a workplace can be, yeah, and how much it can affect your work. And mm. I'd like to. Work, I really want to work with businesses in the future. That's what the end goal is of the brand is to create either a life coaching or consultancy. Sure, because you know unhappy colleagues and is going to lead. That work very well. Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to do that. Um, that'd be interesting. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, dude, thank you very much for coming on. Thank I appreciate you so much for having me, man. man. It's a pleasure, dude. It's something that uh, I think is very important. I know a lot of people suffer with mental health, and mm -hmm. I think uh, you know, like always, this is just uh, I'm just a fucking dude who does a play a game for a sport. Yeah. And if I'm able to have someone on this podcast and it can help one person, then mm -hmm. um, it's it's a very uh, important you know it's very humbling for me if i can help anyone with this so mm -hmm. i appreciate you coming on and sharing Thank your experience you so much, and uh you know hopefully yeah being able to spread and continue doing the good work that you're doing thank you very much man cheers brother appreciate it nice thank one. you take it easy cool guys uh so that is it for this episode um if you want to get in contact with ryan uh, you can find him on Facebook, Ryan Mayers, that's M-A-I-R-S. Uh, he's also got a YouTube page, which is, as we're talking about in the episode, is uh, hashtag Mersey Let's Talk. Uh, and also, if you search that, without the ha you can search it without the hashtag. But if you search for Mersey Let's Talk, then uh, you can find him on Twitter and on YouTube. Uh, yeah, that's about it, really. Um I don't have another episode coming out this week because I've been a little bit busy with um, Cleos and Polaris stuff. But I have a long list of people that I want to start getting through and uh, looking forward to chatting to a lot of different exciting names uh, to get on the podcast. As usual, if you want to uh, give me any suggestions, I'm kind of collecting a list of names of people that I want to want to be looking to get so if anyone has any names especially of people that they don't think i would have thought about then feel free to hit me up a message on facebook and instagram or send me an email at podcast at raspberry.com uh that's enough for today i will catch you guys next time take it easy